Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to marketing strategies to regulatory pressures. Between the pandemic, wildfires, economic losses, and a contentious presidential election, 2020 was certainly a year for the books. And as tempting as it may be to turn the page with the new year and not look back, one marketing expert and applied anthropologist warns that would be a huge mistake that could lead to missed opportunities and sales declines in 2021 and beyond. According to Emily Hitch, who's an anthropologist and VP for the full-service agency Broadhead, many of the cultural shifts revealed in the chaos of 2020 actually weren't new, but rather existed sight unseen for years. By remaining hidden or ignored, these shifts intensified and pulled on our culture, creating a rift between different groups, including consumers and companies. And now it's up to businesses to bridge this chasm and reinstate the trust and loyalty on which they rely for long-term growth. To help sort through this tangle of change from 2020 and to help companies and individuals chart a path forward, Hitch worked with a team of human-centered design consumer behavior, and creative technology experts at Broadhead to create a culture shifts content portal. Through this process, Hitch identified nine culture shift predictions that require attention ASAP. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Hitch walks us through several of these shifts and their potential impact, including consumers' expanding definition of health, the need to redesign systems for resilience and preparedness, the brewing war for talent among modern workforce, and the role of food in reuniting a country polarized by politics. Broadhead's Cultural Shifts Portal was inspired by the idea that the future is not set in stone, but rather is fluid, and therefore, no matter how turbulent the present might feel, individuals still have the power to shape the future that they want. But first, they need to understand what's happening around them. Any of the research that I do for clients, for my own personal passion points, I really think about where we've come from and where we're going to and try to envision kind of that change in motion. And it's just been a running thread in how we think about the way that our clients can respond to how the world is changing around them. Um, and, and, And knowing that futures are, you know, multiple and potential and, um, particularly now with the fast pace of business and the fast pace of a lot of global changes, the sort of era of acceleration that we're living in, particularly with uh, living through a global rite of passage like a pandemic, um, wanting to kind of, you know, give give counsel or, or really think through how to respond to those multiple possible futures. With that in mind, Hitch recommends that businesses come to the portal with an open mind rather than a search and address mentality. We don't have like filters that say, hey, if you're a food company, click here and we'll show you everything about food. It's much more kind of uh, reading through, clicking on things that seem to resonate with you. Um, you know, some of those may be an expanding definition of health and why that matters. Uh, this traceability explosion that's happening through kind of agricultural and food systems and, and the technology available, and then just sort of really thinking about how that, you know, how that applies to everything from your sourcing to your labeling. 
Um, thinking about, uh, I think one of the major shifts that's, that's uh, articulated in the website is around abundance to scarcity. And actually, there's a really core tension there. So it's even just sort of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Provoking your own mind with some of these big concepts and saying, okay, what does abundance mean in my in my business and how are we experiencing that? And what does scarcity mean in my business and how are we experiencing that? Um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a really big question around supply chain stability and are we going to have, you know, uh, shortages in, in, in various areas of, of food supply um, in the future. But then there's also this abundance of uh, new channels of food access. So people can shop in so many different ways than um, they could nine months ago uh, in terms of, uh, of that food access piece and, and that variety. So my hope is that people just sort of feel as though, oh, my gosh, I'm not alone in thinking this traceability thing seems really big right now. Or, yeah, wow, people really are shopping with their values and shopping locally. And how, how might that how might that change the way that I deal with my sales reps or um, the other gatekeepers to getting my, my food and products on shelves or, or online? Well, the entire website is worthy of exploration. There are a few themes or cultural shifts that deserve special attention as Hitch predicts they could have a significant impact on the food and beverage industry in 2021 and beyond. These include consumers' expanding definition of health beyond just their physical bodies to include their minds, communities, and the planet. When I think about how um, how humans think about their health, um, you can even start at that really granular level of biology, right? We are cellular matter. We are we are a animal species, so to speak, and we really think about immunity. I mean, that was obviously something that was provoked with a global pandemic. We think about our heart health. We think about our, you know, our tissues and organs and how we stay healthy in our bodies. Um, I think that the stay-at-home portion of the world we've been living in for the last nine months also really turned people into reflective beings and that idea of health shifted quickly to mental health. We saw a lot of um, a lot of really unfortunate outcomes of mental health in the last nine months. We also saw some glimmers of resilience and of um, people just really thinking about their mental health and not just about immunity, not just about their bodies. Um, and and the the logical extension of that is is you know thinking about human behavior. And most people uh, lived in a space with others over the last nine months. If you have family or roommates or children. Some didn't. Some, like myself, are single. We just talked to our plants. Um, but but you then kind of recognize how you're uh, interacting with others and then how you think about those other people in your space. And then that's out to, you know, that concentric circle start, start to move out. So you had your quarantine or your pod, um, and you were really thinking about not only the bodily health but the mental health and the kind of how are you? Are you okay with those folks? Um, you then start to think about the people you are missing. You then start to think about those kind of loose acquaintances like your bartenders and your stylists that you really miss, just having people think you're really funny and, and uh, having those wonderful, joyful um, moments of, of acquaintanceship um, and on and on. And so um, as we were, I'm going to say, sort of stuck or paused in our home for nights, home for nine months, that, self, that self-reflection that self starts to move its way out through those concentric circles. Um, and I think people are really interested in knowing that every, you know, at some level that, that, that what they're putting into their bodies, this idea of health, what they're eating, and that food part of the health equation is healthy all around. 
The pandemic is not the only factor expanding and accelerating consumers' definition of health and their deepening concern for the health of workers and their larger communities. Hitch says that the social justice movement also is accelerating this awakening and expansion. She explains that this shift will impact how manufacturers source ingredients, make finished products, and refine their communication and marketing strategies. One of the things that I'm really paying close attention to and from a pur- you know from my purpose in life, <laughs> I'm really excited about how um, how elements of equity have entered the food conversation. Um, and they're coming in from different angles. I think you're right that a lot of the civil unrest um, uh, through from from Minneapolis to other cities around the world and sort of those ripple effects from from what we experienced with the murder of George Floyd and, and our spaces here, um, people are really starting to pay attention to how how different uh, different equity mechanisms figure into the food system. Um, I'm also really involved with a lot of uh, conversations around regenerative agriculture, indigenous agriculture, sort of some of the push and pull there around what modernization of farming or returning to the land, kind of the tension that's in there, um, and black farmers and, and what has happened with, with uh, black farmers and black farm owners over the course of, you know, 400 years in terms of land ownership or land management. So there's a lot of those types of, again, equity elements that are starting to enter into a, a, a wider cultural conversation around food. Um, one of the ways that I've been thinking about that is, how it intersects with our conversation of health. So as we have an expanding definition of health and and how we shop purposefully for our food and for whatever it is that we believe we're putting into our bodies that helps us be healthy, we're also thinking about the health of where that food is coming from, not necessarily the nutritional um, elements of that, but the cultural elements. Um, and I think that, that that's not just a traceability piece in terms of, again, nutritional information, but it's a transparency piece as well. So people are really starting to be interested in um, how how the folks who brought that food to them are being treated. What was it like on a farm in a meatpacking plant? I mean, meatpacking is having a moment right now. That The things that the public knows about where their food is coming from are just increasing exponentially. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, the question there is how – for, uh, one of the questions there anyway is how that, how that contributes to even a more crowded label, right? What are we starting to look for if it's non-GMO, organic, organic regenerative certified, employee-owned certifications, um, pesticide-free certifications, these third-party certifiers? Will they also start to, to take a look at those equity lenses around diversity and, and uh, inclusion initiatives that happen with big brands or small farms? Um, just I think those indicators of change are really starting to emerge throughout the way that people shop um, and the way that they're kind of this, this expanding definition of how they want food to be a part of a healthy lifestyle, which includes society and includes the planet, um, how they're really starting to evaluate their food choices with, with those kind of new indicators of change. To figure out which labels or claims to promote on pack and what messaging to highlight in marketing as purchasing priorities shift, Hitch recommends, surprise, that companies actually listen to consumers and their employees. You have to listen to your consumers. You have to listen to the people within your company. You have to listen to the people who buy your products. You have to listen to the people who um, who love your brand, love your um, love what you're offering to the world. And that's not to get all touchy feely and say you have to go, you know, 
and obviously right now we're not doing a lot of immersive research, um, but building listening mechanisms into how you do business, whether that's through soliciting feedback on your website or um, working, you know, I, one of the things I'm really thinking about is around the idea of gatekeepers. Um, and I think uh, Instacart or other online shopping or, uh, venues are great examples where you're, it's not direct consumer in the same way. And, and you, you know that there's a space behind it. So I know for myself, my Cub Foods looks a certain way and where to find things and how to kind of search the shelves. But I'm not sure if everything in that store is available to me on Instacart and the website. I feel like I have a bit of scarcity in those choices. So for retailers and for food companies and for CPG companies, really thinking about how you reach people so that they, when you are available in that consider, in, in that, um, set of choices that, that there still is something that feels good about making the choice for your product or your brand. Um, and I think the only way to know what messaging is resonating, what about your brand is resonating, is to have continual engagement with your with the people who, who are going to be buying your um, your products. What companies learn might be that social media or paid advertising is not the most effective way to reach consumers. Rather, Hitch says they might find that their actions can speak louder than words. There, There's so much skepticism around social media. There's so much skepticism around the news and what we see on our screens, and yet screens for a lot of folks are the only way that we interact with other people right now. Um, I don't... I would, I would, you know, if someone had a million dollars from a CPG company and said, what do I do right now? I would say get as creative as possible in getting off your screens um, and trying to create engagement or, um, or uh, taking action that will translate into messages that your brand loyalists and the people in the world that you want to communicate with will hear. Um, so it might not be spending spending money on a better website. It might be. Um, it may be, uh, you know, investing in your supply chain and then telling people why, why you're doing that. Um, it may be changing the way you source things and then uh, communicating to everyone why you're doing that. I think the why is so important right now. Um, and it's one of the things that often – Big food companies in particular are very good at setting sort of lofty statements, um, but not as good about showing what it actually means on a day-to-day level for folks. Um, so really trying to translate those big why questions of where you're investing, where you're changing, what, what R&D you're developing, what types of products you're making, and why you're making them um, for the betterment of people. Hitch's example of refining how ingredients are sourced or products are made to align with consumer values also can help companies adapt to another cultural shift that she says she's watching, which is redesigning systems for resilience and preparedness. There's a tension between what CPG companies say and what they do. And I think that's, that's an age-old, you know, that's an age-old marketing conundrum of um, how much of what we do behind the scenes do we talk about uh, in the public. And I just, this, this demand for transparency and betterment um, people are really hungry for leaders who say, I'm, 
not leaders who don't just say, I'm going to make things better, but leaders who show an actual plan and action. Um, and I don't just mean political leaders. I mean, uh, you know, we listen, Americans in particular, listen to the um, – Listen to the statements made by CEOs of companies. We listen to the the ways that we hear people being treated in those companies. And for CPG companies, um, some of those are really obviously those are really big systems that they are a part of, but that they don't they don't drive. Um, but they can they can communicate how they're going to be a part of that betterment. So we're hearing a lot right now about, in the U.S., we're hearing a lot right now about cabinet choices and economic recovery and um, building back better. What are our, what does that mean for, for a, a, you know, on the day-to-day? What does that mean for the CEO of um, Kraft? What does that mean for the CEO of um, target brands, you know, what does it mean for these, for General Mills? We want to hear from those companies about um, how they're they're keeping America modernized. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be drones and uh, blockchain and some of these technological advances that sound very sterile. I think modernization also just means we're going to take care of people because it's the right thing to do, and it's also going to be the right thing for our bottom line, and here's how we're running our businesses. As companies redefine their values and behavior, they may also need to rethink their teams to ensure that they have the best possible leaders and employees in place. Luckily, Hitch notes that the pandemic has actually made it easier to find top talent. I think the advent of so many people working from home, so many jobs going remote, um, has really opened up the talent pool. And the way that I think about it is wherever the best mind is to fit the job that, that you're hiring for at this point, you don't have to move them. They could be in another country. They could be in another city. Um, we have learned how to work remotely very efficiently. And obviously, there's not everything that can be done remotely. It really allows for a different type of hiring process where you, the whole world is open to where you find the best cultural fit, the best you know, intelligence fit, the best training fit, the best skills fit. Um, for that job that you're hiring for. Obviously, that's not necessarily the case when it comes to farm management. (laughs) That's a a very on-the-ground, in-the-ground type of job. But I think um, when you're talking about those CPG companies in particular and um, just kind of the strategy and long-range planning and um, those those kind of strategic decision-making type positions. For Hitch, there seems to be a silver lining and opportunity to learn or improve from each of the challenges that 2020 threw at us, including the highly divisive and polarizing presidential and local elections. You know, the drumbeat of the conversation around American politics right now is divisiveness and polarization. And essentially what what a divided country, and I, I hesitate even to call it that. I mean, while we see numbers that show 50% 51% vote one way and 49% vote another way. Um, we forget that we actually have a lot in common. We share a lot of values. Um, I think the, the heated flare of this election um, really uh, and the political, um, the political conversation works to heat that up during that time, not to cool it down. Um, hopefully, this is my hope, we're entering that sort of cool down where we really see 
um, us trying to find the common ground, you know, where where we're not just red or blue or other. Food is a great connector, and uh, being able to see food as a way to bring people together um, is maybe one of the the sort of light, the light, bright silver indicators that the food industry has going for them. Um, if we think again, not just about that farm to table, but if we start to think about who's at that table, uh, if we think about how to bring people together around food, around their health, um, just trying to find that, that, um, that people centric, human centric relationship, uh, matrix making, network making, uh, catalyst that food can be. Um, I think that's a really interesting platform to sort of stand on and, and look around strategically and say, what can we do with this knowledge that food is a great connector and gathering together for, for meals and for food and for food providing, cooking for others, being with others is, is a really great networking tool and con- connection tool. Um, my hope is that that food companies recognize that about about the you know the products that they put out there into the world have the have the power um, to do that and uh, thinking creatively about how to how to really fuel that um, could be a, a wonderful angle for food companies to take as we as we try to you know build back our resilient societies. Clearly, the food and beverage industry and the U.S. as a whole has a long road ahead to healing and building back better from the rubble that 2020 has left. But as Hitch notes, the industry has a strong history and foundation of unity and advancement on which to stand and move forward. With that, we reach the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope that you'll join me again next week for another installment. And to ensure that you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week, as well as a happy new year.